Planning a trip to one of the great national parks? L.L. Bean went to the experts at the National Park Foundation to get the inside scoop on which parks are the best to visit in each season. Whether you're looking for outstanding scenery, smaller crowds, or unique activities, L.L. Bean, be an outsider. To check out the full list of recommendations, visit llbean.com slash explore. Welcome back to the Final Four. It's not on the schedule. He is Rod. I am Cameron. And we're back to preview uh, Michigan State versus Michigan, the rescheduled game from earlier this year um, that will be played in Chrysler. Uh, and, Rod, we just finished watching Michigan um, lose to Illinois uh, just, a, just a few minutes ago. Um, so most of the stats that we're going to be quoting are going to be uh, pre-Illinois, um, other than their record, obviously. it's uh, They come into this one now 15-12 and 12 overall, 9-8 and eight in the Big Ten. Um, this is this is a a, a a do or die game for Michigan, I think you could say. After um, the Purdue win, Michigan State has got to be feeling a little pretty good about themselves. Not not quite the desperation that Michigan's feeling, certainly. I think in terms of tournament hopes, I think that's true. Uh, Michigan, if you look at most of the uh, bracket brackets out there, um, Michigan is in that you know, last, first four buys, mm-hmm. last four in area before this loss. So now they've lost this. Now this hurts them. It doesn't hurt them a massive amount because it was against a good opponent, but it was a home loss. And yeah. maybe most importantly, it was an opportunity for Michigan to get a quad one victory that they didn't grab, mm-hmm. right? Which yeah. is where they're still really short compared to a lot of other teams that I think they're going to be in the mix with. So Michigan's got three games left, the same way Michigan State does. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got Michigan State, then they're also at home to face Iowa, and then they're on the road at Ohio State to close the season. So it's not an easy stretch either, mm-hmm. you know, for Michigan to, to pick up to pick up wins in these three games. None of those games would project as, you know, ones that you think you definitely should put in the win column. Mm-hmm. I think the first two, they've certainly got a, a fighting chance. I, I would say at Ohio state is probably a tougher road to hoe, but um, I would say if I were a Michigan fan, <sighs> these are three quad one games that you've got. I think you got to get at least one and maybe two to Mm -hmm. feel two. And I would think you would feel pretty good about whatever happens in the big 10 tournament. Yeah. One. And you might be in a spot where you feel like you need to win a game. Mm -hmm. Um, So that that's kind of, and if they lose all three, I don't see any way they're not on the outside looking in. No. They're 15 and so, 15 at that point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and you know, they say, of course, they don't go by overall records, but they would have a losing season in the conference. They would be 500 overall. They just wouldn't match up in terms of quad one wins. Yeah. Uh, their, their quad one record would be terrible, as a matter of fact. Um, so I think it is it's, – it's really, really important. It's not quite to the level of do or die. But it's really, really important. Mm-hmm. 
There's no, there's no sugarcoating it. And of Whereas course, I think your read is correct about Michigan State. Mm-hmm. I think I think Michigan State, despite the doom and gloom around the fan base before yesterday, uh, and the win over Purdue, as we're recording this on Sunday, uh-huh. uh, Michigan State was in really good shape. Mm-hmm. Now the Purdue game just made it even better shape, but Michigan State was was not near the bubble. Yeah, believe that. I I think one more win and and they're locked locked in yeah I mean, they may they, even be locked lose, in now i i would say they're pretty close to locked in if if you were to tell me they'd lose all three of the remaining games and their first game in the big 10 tournament would i be feeling nervous on selection sunday probably mm-hmm. but i yeah their their case is largely made and and at this point i think it's more about playing for um how high of a seed you can be. And, you know, for MSU, I think right now the discussion would be, can you get yourself out of, I mean, I don't think it's entirely unrealistic to think that they could with a strong finish, get into that six, maybe even five range. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's off the table. And that would be advantageous because you, you definitely want to avoid being an eight or a nine. Yeah. Because that means your second round game, if you win the first round game, your second round game is likely against a one. Mm-hmm. And and if you're a seven, well, your second round game is likely against a two seed, which this year I'm not sure there's going to be a hell of a lot of difference between a, facing a one and facing a two. Yeah, but once yeah. you get to playing a three or playing a four, well, then it's a little more of a wide open scenario. You know, I mean, look, I think we've seen Michigan State can beat teams that will be in the mix. Wisconsin, against all odds, and, you know, I'm right there with every other fool who missed on them, um, is seems to be on track for maybe being as high as a two seed. Mm -hmm. Can Michigan State not beat Wisconsin? Of course they can beat Wisconsin. You know, we just saw they could beat Purdue. Yep. So yep. it's not like they wouldn't have a chance in those games, but you understand my point. Mm-hmm. You you do if if you have your choice, you'd rather be in a better position uh, to not face teams quite of that caliber. Be getting into that six. facing a three kind of range. Six. So six or lower is probably the best outcome. Yes. Yeah. Six or right. A six or lower meaning six, six or a five. Seed. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so Michigan's, they're going to have to try figuring this out at the end also without John Howard. Um, does that make a lot of difference here, do you think, for them? I mean, you know, it's it's hard to tell. I mean, so far, you know, they, they beat Rutgers at home, mm-hmm. which, you know, is is a, a nice win. But we, we know Rutgers is a very different team uh, home home and away. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just two different teams. And so I, I think it was good. Obviously losing would have been indicated a problem, but I do think that it, it indicates um, that they're at least not falling off a cliff. And I didn't think they would mm-hmm. with Martelli today, losing to Illinois by eight, uh, they could have easily lost this game the same way if, if Howard would have been there. So I'm not sure I'm discerning, a huge difference. I do think this is uh, Jawan Howard's team. Mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of the nonsense, I mentioned this in our last podcast, a lot of the 
stuff about, oh, Juwan Howard's just a figurehead. It's Phil Martelli doing all the coaching. That was always dumb. Yeah. I, there are a lot of things to criticize Juwan Howard for, but uh, that's not one of them. I think <laughs> I think he actually does coach, Yeah. and it's his philosophy that's reflected in how Michigan plays. It's certainly his philosophy in terms of the way that they've opted to recruit and build that roster, you know, the fact that they're very different than they were under Beeline in just, you know, three years. Mm-hmm. They're they're radically different in terms of how their offense is structured. Yeah. Uh, just start with that, you know. So, um, yeah, I, I don't I don't know. You know, I don't know whether it, it, it going into a rivalry game, there's so many things that go into it. You know, both teams certainly feel like they need to win. And that's on top of the normal desire to beat the hell out of your rival anyway. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Michigan's at home. Michigan got smacked in East Lansing. I mean, really smacked. Yeah. And so they're going to want, you know, vengeance for that. Uh, you know, is there kind of a win one for Jawan kind of thing that comes into play in this game? You know, you would think that would have kind of faded by now. That yeah, that's what I was three thinking. Of this. Mm-hmm. Um, but you never know. And uh, and then on the Michigan State side, you know, uh, Tom Izzo teams rarely have a problem getting up for Michigan. And they also have their own work to do, uh, as we were just talking about. So I think um, I, I, I would expect that the Howard absence probably won't end up meaning a ton in the end but it'll be hard i mean it's hard for anybody outside the program to really tell there's no obvious signs that it's impacted them negatively thus far that's where i guess i would land yeah and and then there's uh also this storyline coming into this one which you're actually rod you're going to be at this game um yeah so we'll mention that i guess right off the top we'll mention again maybe at the end um but we'll wind up doing the post game um the day after um, cause it's just yeah, going to well, be difficult for you to, you know, logistically, yeah, logistically it's going to be hard. So we'll do a wrap up of the Michigan game and a preview of Ohio state together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that'll be our next one after this, just because of the logistics. But uh, in doing that, you get to, uh, be there. This sort of sets up for potentially Izzo becoming the all time winningest head, uh, coach for big 10. Uh, which yeah, is something to, to, that, to, be spe- to be specific. It's the most victories by a big te- overall for by a Big Ten coach at one school. Right. Um, he has not yet caught Knight in terms of total conference wins. He's probably realistically, I'd say, probably three years away from that. Okay. Um. He's about 31 or 32 behind Knight. So if you figure the normal MSU winning pace, he's probably looking at about three years behind. Um, but but this is a big deal. Mm-hmm. Let, let's make no mistake. And MSU did a lot of, you know, it, it's been building for a while. Of course, MSU's been losing. He's been on the brink of tying Knight for, for a while. And they just hadn't been able to get it done. So it got sort of lost in the shuffle eventually, obscured by the fact that Michigan State had been playing so poorly. Mm-hmm. But that's that's changed now. And after the win yesterday, it was well celebrated. 
uh, the fact that he had tied night. And you're right, he can set the record against Michigan, and there would be no sweeter way to do it <laughs> yeah. than against Michigan. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think that's I don't think that's a big deal in terms of the motivation in that locker room. Uh, I, and certainly not a big motivation for him. I think yeah. the big motivation is, hey, we got to keep getting better because March is coming. Mm-hmm. March will be there actually by the time this game tips off. It'll be March first. Yeah, yeah. So you you know that's that's what's primarily driving it. But it would be a lot of fun to see them get that win in Ann Arbor. Mm-hmm. Uh, so coming into uh, today, this isn't going to include the um, statistics for the Illinois game, but. They'll be fairly close after this far in right. the season. Twenty right. fifth uh, on offense, sixty seventh on defense. Um, on offense, they're thirty three percent from three, which is one hundred ninety one in the nation. So not too great, but they're fifty fifth in two point percentage. Um, yeah, and look that that's a reflection of the impact of Dickinson and to a little lesser extent Diabate. They have they have post players that are very efficient inside and in Dickinson's case are pretty high volume shooters and Diabate to a lesser extent, but mm-hmm. he does take some shots too. Uh, and that's why they're part of why their two point percentage is so good. A big part of it from three it's, it's been rough all year. Mm-hmm. You know, they just, they've had, uh, they've had moments they've had individual games or periods where they've shot it well, but there's never been anything like a, a consistent level of production. And that is, by the way, on offense, the biggest difference mm-hmm. between them last year and this year. Last year, they were an extremely consistent, extremely good three-point shooting team. So it posed a threat somewhat similar to what Purdue did. Or maybe to put a better point on it, because they, they didn't have a guy like Ivy either, um, maybe like Illinois poses this year mm-hmm. where you have that, that dominant post player. They had that in Dickinson and then a bunch of shooters around him. So you really have to pick your poison when you're playing them. And, uh, and that's, that's what Michigan posed last year, this year, the three point shooting just has not been very good yeah. for long for consistent in terms of consistency. Yeah, the free throw percentage seventy two point nine, hundred fourth in turnovers. Yeah, which is okay. It's gotten better over the course of the year. It's significantly better than Michigan State. It's a couple percentage points better than MSU, which is the difference between being knocking on the door, being in the top one hundred, and being like I think MSU's two seventy nine mm-hmm. as of today, which is an improvement <laughs> lately. So. Um, yeah, there's a difference there. They've done an okay job. Not great. Certainly not in this league where you got a bunch of teams in the top 10, but they've been solid in that mm-hmm. area. Uh, and then offensive rebounding, they're 72nd in the country. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's where I bet you that, you know, you, you can see the evolution of this program into what Juwan Howard wants it to be. And that's reflected in the way he's recruited, the lineup choices he makes, and the way that they play. And that's one big area. Rebounding on the offensive end was something John Beeline teams never, ever, ever cared about. Mm-hmm. This team does. And they're not great, but they're pretty good. They're inside the top 100. And that's, again, with Dickinson and Diabate, that gives you a lot 
to work with on the offensive end. Um, and they, you know, that poses a threat. We know the problems Michigan State's had in terms of its defensive rebounding. So, you know, it's it's funny to be talking about it in a Michigan Michigan State matchup because for so long you could just ignore that that phase of the game mm-hmm. when it came to Michigan, but not now and, and with either side, not with the way MSU's rebounding and not with the way Michigan's rebounding. Uh, and then defense, um, 37th against um, three-point percentage. So, yeah, not too great. But not, well, no, uh, that's pretty good. That's yeah. pretty good. They've been but, – but, again, that's a stat that you don't necessarily put a ton into. The, the, the more important part there, I guess, is that they've done a decent job in terms of limiting – opponents attempts yeah uh they didn't do a very good job today against illinois it was part of the reason they got beat yeah uh but but they've been okay from three they've just been miserable against twos just miserable Mm -hmm. yeah 219th in the country yeah and that i think that's that's a reflection of a couple a couple things one in my opinion this is an extremely poor dribble containment team Mm-hmm. And it's because Howard has opted to go, and I don't know that he has much of a choice, but he's opted to go with a big lineup. And so what that's meant is he's got Caleb Houston playing the three primarily. Caleb Houston is probably athletically better suited to play the four. Mm-hmm. See, but six, he's eight. playing the three. Yeah. yeah, and he doesn't move great on the defensive end or on the offensive end. He doesn't move well. He's not a great athlete. Mm-hmm. Not He's not a fluid athlete. He can jump a little bit, but he's not a fluid athlete when you watch him move. He's, I, I always think he, he's just too upright, maybe a little too stiff. Definitely not the ideal kind of guy physically to be guarding threes. Then you got Diabate guarding fours, who is capable to some extent in the post, but struggles if he's got to extend. Mm-hmm. and get out on the floor to guard uh, a four-man, not great in pick and roll, you know, can get blown by sometimes. There's a lot of issues there. Again, you'd rather have him consistently playing the five. Yeah. And then you have yeah. Dickinson, the only guy who actually is playing the position he's probably most naturally made to play at the five, but he's terrible at it mm-hmm. because he can't move. I mean, Dickinson just gets taken. You saw it in this Illinois game. He just gets taken advantage for everything he gives you offensively. And as a rebounder, he takes a lot away on defense, in my view. Last year, they were able to cover up for it because they had a really good group around him Mm -hmm. defensively. You know, they don't have that this year. They don't have anybody to really help him out. And so he's exposed. He's exposed in a way that he wasn't last season, and you've seen how that goes. The first Michigan State game, they elect to go with a lot of hard hedge um, on pick and roll, and he just got obliterated. Mm -hmm. Michigan State toyed with him. You know, at first, it was a lot of A.J. Hogard just taking him off the dribble. If you remember, A.J. had a big game going to the rim. And then later in the game, you saw Michigan State get him isolated in switches. Uh, uh, Hauser did it to him. I believe Venom did it to him. Uh, he just can't he can't extend. You saw it in this Illinois game. There was a period where they had Coleman Hawkins playing at the five, and Coleman Hawkins burned it. Mm-hmm. 
because he can't extend. So that's a big issue. You put those things together, the fact that they've got guys who are out of position defensively in the front court, and then nobody on their team, their guards, I mean, maybe Brooks to some extent, but that's about it. Nobody really contains the dribble very much, and that is a lot to – oh, and, and then despite all that size, they're not a great rim protection team either. It's no surprise that they are as low as they are in terms of two-point defense. Mm-hmm. And that's – as we, we talk about here a lot. If you're going to pick one stat in terms of these stats we run through, that's the one to hang your hat on that's going to tell you the most about the consistency of a defense, it's that one. Mm-hmm. It's how how effectively do you limit two point success? Yeah, and they are a, a decent rebounding team now. Thirty one in um, defensive rebounding yeah. percentage. And Diabate uh, is a big part of that too. Yeah, and, and that's a that that's a strength. You know, we, we talk about some of the weaknesses. That part is a strength that they are able to end possessions that result in a missed shot. And that is something that even in the beeline era, they generally were pretty good at. Um, and that's continued. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, again, it's something I think Juwan Howard cares about. Uh, so then we look at the starters, Hunter Dickinson, 18 points a game, which leads them um, 8.2 blocks. He's shooting rebounds, a uh, rebounds. I'm sorry. <laughs> 8.2 blocks. My goodness. To Kim. Uh, yeah. yeah 8.2 uh, rebounds. He's shooting 56 from the floor, 34 from three, and 81 from the line. So that three is is definitely something he's added. He was 0 for 4 last year. Right. He's added it. He hit, I think he hit one today. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe he missed a couple, so he's probably maintained that percentage right around the one-third mark. Uh, you know, he's had, as I talked about, He's had a, a good season. I don't think he's been as good as they needed him to be. Um, and and by that, I mean, I think people expected he would, the decision to come back meant, okay, he's going to be a dominant player. Let's, let's put it this way. If you stack his season up against Coburn, um, Liddell, the other elite big men in this league, really mm-hmm. the Purdue two-headed monster. You have to kind of take those guys together. Yeah, I don't think he's been at that level. He hasn't been. I mean, let's just call a spade a spade. And he especially hasn't been when you take into account how bad he's been defensively. Mm-hmm. He's just terrible. I mean, he just when I say terrible, I just mean that his limitations make them so vulnerable in certain areas of the game that it's hard to stop opponents when you can, when your big man doesn't have a prayer of extending out on the floor. And that, and, and that means any decision you make is the wrong one in terms of pick and roll, because if he hard hedges, he's probably going to get exploited the way Michigan state did mm-hmm. by just having the guard, take him to the basket and beat him to the rim. And if he, if he shacks it, then you're giving opponents wide open looks you know that you're just conceding that and and maybe you know you will win some of those matchups when opponents just have a bad day hitting open shots but you better not count on that as a as a regular course of business you know yeah and that's the that's the conundrum michigan's in and i think it would be one thing if he had those troubles 
but he was going out and he was scoring 24, 25 a night. Mm-hmm. You know, the way Coburn can and has. Uh, he hasn't quite done that. He's been good. I don't think he's great. And I think for, for this Michigan team to be anywhere close to where people projected them in the preseason, he had to be a great version. And he just had, uh, to me, I don't, other than the three, adding the three-point shot, which is nice, but I don't think it's a game-changer for him yeah. as a prospect, I don't see where he's really gotten much better. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, some might differ with that, but I, I don't think in any fundamental way you've seen any improvement that is likely to change anyone's perception of him as a player at the next level. I don't think adding that the occasional three-point shot is enough to do that because, again, the defensive problems. Look at look at Luca Garza. Luca Garza, who was as dominant a big man as we've seen in the Big Ten as an offensive player and as a rebounder for two years running, basically, mm-hmm. can't stick regularly in, with one of the worst teams in the NBA. And he really improved his three-point shot. <laughs> In yeah, college. he's a much right, vastly better, vastly better three-point shooter than um, than Dickinson has been this year, and it doesn't make enough of a difference because Luca Garza has the same problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, he can't move defensively, and if you can't move defensively, it's it's hard to play in the NBA and even at the Big Ten level. It's hard not to get exploited a lot of the time. Yeah, but I don't want to. Before we leave him, I don't want to shortchange it. We saw in the first game, he's a very, very good low post player. Mm. He's got really good vision, so they, I think their offense started to improve when they started running more through him out of the post. Uh, the problem with the way Michigan State's likely to play it is they're not going to give him those easy passing opportunities because they're not likely to bring a lot of doubles. So that means he's going to be where he was in the game in East Lansing, where he's got a lot of one-on-one. And he'll get he'll get his points. There's no question about that. He'll he'll put some points up, but I, I you know, it, it gets it's tough sometimes to win that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you got Musa Diabate, nine a point or uh, nine point three points a game, five point seven rebounds. Um, not much. I mean, only eighteen blocks on the year. So. Yeah. Not really at his height, you'd think, would be more. But uh, 57 from the floor, 21 from three, only three for 14, and 61 from the line. Yeah, the shot blocking is, I think, the big disappointment because you look at him, you look at his measurables, and even watch him play. And mm-hmm. I'm left wondering, why isn't he blocking more shots? You know, because the the the, the story on him was, you know, top 10 uh, recruit, and seemed to be a guy that they thought maybe could do similar things to what Jaron Jackson did for Michigan State. Mm-hmm. Has not been that way. You know, Jaron Jackson did two things extremely well in his one year at MSU that Musa Diabate has not, and that's block shots and hit threes. Yeah. Diabate Diabate has done has played well at times. I think he's he's got a great motor, plays extremely hard. Uh, has been pretty good around the, around the basket. I think has a better post game than I'd expected. Mm-hmm. And, but um, I'm going to be curious with him. He's a problem for MSU and, and played pretty well, as I recall, in the first game. But he's a problem for MSU in that 
Uh, he's big enough that neither of Michigan State's fours are in an ideal matchup with him on the blocks. You know, so they've got two guys that can do damage down low mm-hmm. at any given time, and they play them together a lot, which, as I say, I think is a large part of the reason why they've been as bad as they've been defensively. But it does give them some, some things to go to offensively. Mm-hmm. Uh, the biggest problem for him on offense has been that you mentioned the three-point shooting. He's just been unable to consistently hit threes. And I think they'd hoped that he would be, even as a 30% guy, that would have stretched the floor a little bit more, would have made life different for everybody else. As it is, a lot of the time Michigan is out there, they're kind of constipated yeah. on offense because they don't have that shooting threat at the four. And on defense, Michigan State really exploited him at the four. I mean, um, Hall had 15 points. Hauser had 14 points. They were both right. there four for six between them from three. Yep, yep. And again, it's the same thing as with Dickinson. Diabate's a better athlete, but he's not much better in terms of getting out to shooters. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if he's defending in the post, even though he's not a great shot blocker, he's okay. He can hang there. Same with Dickinson, really. But uh, extending out on the floor, handling pick-and-roll stuff, yeah, that's that's where it starts to fall apart. Mm-hmm. I'm really, really interested to see if Diabate goes pro. I, I have this inclination that he will. Um, and I would expect he'd be drafted and maybe even a first-rounder. I haven't been paying close attention to the box, but uh, I could see why an NBA team would be interested in him. But I'm gonna be in, I, I think it will be interesting to watch if he does go, mm-hmm. um, uh, how high he ends up. Because, again, I could see the reason for picking him relatively high. He's got a lot of physical tools, and things like motor you can't really teach. He's got that. But, boy, there's a lot of development that needs to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you got uh, Caleb Houston, 10.3 points a game, 4.2 rebounds. Um, he's shooting 39 from the floor, 35 from three, 76 from the line. Yeah, and to it's his credit. a lot credit, of turnovers, though. He does. To his credit, he has played much better offensively of late. He's worked, He's coming into the MSU game off two straight 20-point uh, plus performances. He had 21 today, and I think he had 21 the game before, and then went over Rutgers, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think, uh, you know, the shooting percentage is better. He's battled back from a really bad start, and now at 35%, you know, that's okay. Not where they hoped he'd be coming into the season, but not the disaster it was early. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think offensively, you could say he started to arrive. Defensively, though, a problem. Yeah, he just he can't he cannot guard wings, and Michigan State really needs to take advantage of him in this game. I mean, this is a game, and it's going to be one of the keys we talk about. You know, Gabe Brown and Max Christie matter a lot. Mm-hmm. When those guys are humming, Michigan State is very good. And this is a game where they should get opportunities because I don't think Caleb Houston can guard them. I don't think he's, depending upon who he guards, um, I don't think he's responsible enough to locate and close on shooters. And I think you can take him off the dribble some too, which might not mean much for Gabe, but it could be something Max can do. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Um, on offense, the thing I would say about Houston, uh, what's made the difference, the threes are falling at a better rate. That certainly helped. But to his credit, he started going uh, off the dribble a little bit more and having at least some success. I wouldn't say he's a great penetrating option, but he's better than he was early in the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Eli Brooks, 12.4 points a game, um, just under four rebounds, shooting 44 from the floor, 39 from three, 89 from the line, um, 77 assists, 35 turnovers. Yeah, um, he's probably their most reliable three-point shooter. You know, just just on the cusp of forty percent, and he's another guy. I look at like Dickinson. I think he's had a good year. You know, he's the best individual defender by a long shot. Mm-hmm. You look at those offensive numbers; they're certainly not bad. But I think the hope was Eli Brooks is going to as a as a super senior, so his fifth year of actually playing. He's going to take this step. Right. Yeah. And and that has not happened. And I think it was probably unrealistic for it ever to happen. That's that's just not who he is. I think Eli Brooks evolved into a very capable complimentary player. Mm-hmm. That's what he is. And and I don't I'm not throwing shade by saying that. I think he's been a very good one. He's a very good one for them last year. And I think his numbers are similar this year. But it's the problem is they probably needed him to be something more than that. Yeah, because he's averaging 35 minutes a game. So these yeah. numbers are good, but that's a lot of minutes. <laughs> I it mean. is. It is. Yep. Uh, and then Devontae Jones, the uh, transfer from Coastal, um, 9.5 points a game, um, just a little bit of five, well, five rebounds, but, man, 115 assists to 52 turnovers, which – Two to one, a little better than that. Um, but the shooting, 44% total, um, 31% from three, and 75% from the line. Yeah, he's, you know, he had he had, had a period where he was shooting the three better and he started to regress again. And that's, that's the limiter. Mm-hmm. I think he's been okay. I don't think it's, I don't think you can look at it and say, wow, that was just a bad take by Michigan. You know, realistically, for what you what you can realistically expect, given the track record of mid-major guys who transfer up, he's produced solidly. Mm-hmm. You know, on offense, I think he's again like a lot of these guys. He's not very good defensively, but uh, he's produced solidly on offense. With the one big limiter being the three-point shooting, but that is a big problem. Um, I think again though expectations got skewed for a couple reasons. One, Michigan hit the absolute jackpot with Mike Smith last year. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody saw that coming, that he would play that well. I certainly didn't. I was a big skeptic. And he came, that guy came in, completely retooled his game, went from a high-volume scorer who wasn't particularly efficient to a very efficient player who focused more on distributing than he did scoring. Jones has not turned to that trick. And and I think the other thing that, that led to expectations being out of whack was he, he was in the draft for a while last year before he elected to uh, transfer. 
Mm-hmm. And, or maybe he had said he was, I don't remember the sequence. Maybe he had said he was going to transfer if he pulled out of the draft. Sometimes guys do that one way or the other, but uh, he was supposedly very, very good in, in draft camps in workouts. And there was a lot of buzz about him and it wasn't all this. That's the thing. It wasn't all Michigan slappies. This was coming out of NBA sources that, Hey, this guy played very, very well. If he stays in the draft, he might get drafted. There was some of that talk, which had not been the expectation going into workouts. Uh-huh. So I think that really ramped things up, too, that people said, well, if he played that well, he should be gangbusters at Michigan. Hasn't happened that way. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a tough one because to evaluate for me because, on the one hand, I look at his season and say, well, in terms of what you would reasonably expect, from this kind of guy, this situation, that's, you know, that's a, that's de- a decent return. Mm-hmm. But relative to where I think the expectations were for those two reasons, I think it's been, it's missed the mark. And, and also what Michigan needed him to be. That's the other thing. Yeah. Michigan, especially if Eli Brooks wasn't going to take some, some massive jump, they needed him to be more than he's been to, for this team to be really good. I mean, the the one thing that sticks out maybe most of all in that first game that, that they played Michigan was Jones getting blown by <laughs> a lot well, of times. Well, that's what I mean. He can't guard. Mm-hmm. He's not a good defensive player. And, you know, right now, Michigan State with its two point guards who really should be feeling, even in some of the losses, I mean, you know, I go back to that Illinois loss and – that wasn't the fault of either point guard. You know, mm-hmm. the Iowa game, everybody just kind of stunk up the joint pretty much. But, um, you know, when they both played exceptionally well in the win over Purdue. So Michigan State is coming into this game with the guys that Jones will likely be guarding feeling pretty good about where they're at. Mm-hmm. So it's and, – and both capable of exploiting what you just mentioned. Yeah. Uh, and then coming off the bench, they don't – Use the bench a whole lot, um, but Terrence Williams, he's getting about 15 and a half point, or minutes a game, 4.3 4. Um, points, only 2.5 rebounds, but shooting 42% from the floor, 32 from three, and 69 from the line. Only 32 from three now, huh? Yeah. He's, he's taken a dive lately because there was a point in time he was much higher than that. It's not on huge volume, but, um, you know, he's kind of – they, when they brought him in, they talked about him as this guy they thought was going to be a jack of all trades. Mm-hmm. So a guy who was capable of doing a lot of different things, maybe no one thing spectacularly well, but you can plug him in to you know go and check somebody, or you can plug him in to help you on the boards or to hit some shots. And he could do enough things well that he could really be a positive part of a rotation. And I think well, he's uh, kind of on track to be that, but he hasn't been great. Mm. Um, and those numbers reflect it, you know? Yeah. Uh, and then Brandon Johns, 13.7 uh, minutes a game, uh, just a little under four points, 2.3 rebounds, um, 40% from the floor, 32% from three and 70% from the line. I think my opinion only, uh, certainly people could differ with this, but I think maybe, 
the biggest problem for this Michigan team this year is that Brandon Johns did not develop into what it looked like he had the potential to be. And I'm Mm -hmm. talking about as recently as last spring when they made their tournament run. Yeah. He played very, very well in the tournament. He had played pretty well in his two years under Juwan Howard. Not without bumps, but pretty well. And I think they came into this season with the expectation that he could give them a starting four who could defend and who could stretch the floor and still have enough to hold hold it down on the boards. And that would give Diabate time to, you know, factor in as a reserve at both the four and the five. And instead, Johns has regressed so seriously that you, you've had to go with Diabate more than I think they planned on. Mm-hmm. And frankly, I think more than is optimal. Diabate does a lot of good things, but he also, it creates issues for Michigan. It yeah. does. And on the defensive end, especially, but also on offense. And, and I think I think that's been one of the undersung stories about Michigan is that Brandon Johns just couldn't, not only couldn't find that next level, but actually went backward. Yeah. Uh, and then you got Frankie Collins, like backup point guard, really not doing a whole lot offensively. 38% from the floor, only two for 14 from three, 44% at the free throw line. Um, and he's his assist to turnover race was horrible. 34 assists to 28 turnovers. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's a, he's a young point guard who's got a lot of refinement to come. Mm-hmm. There are things that you like about him. And and actually if you watch if anybody listening watched the game today, you might have seen it. There was a segment in the first half of like three straight possessions where Frankie Collins did positive things. He drew a foul, he scored on a layup, and then I think he got himself an open jumper that he just didn't hit. Mm-hmm. Uh but those things come around too rarely. He's extremely quick. That is going to be where his strength is um, as a player going forward. It's what it's what's going to get him a chance to be an Im- impactful player at the collegiate level. But he's got to be able to do more offensively, shooting the basketball. And that doesn't mean he's got to be a three-point shooter, uh, you know, a great one, but he's got to be at least someone teams have to guard. Mm. You know, I mean, it's really bad. And as you say, the assist-to-turnover ratio, his decision-making is nowhere near where it needs to be. Now, again, he was a top 100 recruit, but not an elite recruit. So I don't think it was fair to expect that he would come in right away and – take the world by storm. That's why they went out and got Devontae Jones. They yeah. knew that. And I, and I also don't rule out the fact that down the line, he could end up being a very good player for that. That could happen because there are some elements. It's quickness, and he seems to be, in my observation at least, he seems to be kind of a fearless guy. Like he's got the right mentality. He just doesn't have the judgment or the skill set yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so I could see it coming together for him in time, but for right now, yeah, it's tough to win if they have to play him a lot. Yeah. 
Uh, and then we it's possible we see Kobe Bufkin for a turn or two. Um, 40% from the floor, 22% from three, 75% from the line. He's getting about 3.4 minutes or 3.4 um, points. Yeah, he's. I think he hit MSU for a three, if I remember correctly. Um, that 22%. Uh, look, he's another guy, I think, except as, as opposed to Collins, who was probably rated more appropriately. For some reason, Kobe Bufkin got bumped up dramatically late. And I, I mentioned this, I think, in the preview to our first game. I don't understand how it happened because he was hurt a good part of his senior year. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he's a McDonald's All-American. It was the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are guys who played in this state. You know, Kalen Lucas wasn't a McDonald's All-American. You know? That's... That's wild. <laughs> right. That's... Right. He was just outside that range. You know, he was like in the 30s. Compare Kalen Lucas as a freshman, even, to a guy like Kobe Pufkin. I... I it has not surprised me that Bufkin has had an uneven start. He's a better player than I think he's looked this year. I still think he's got a chance to be really good. Um, I always liked his versatility. He's a good athlete. Um, had a good skill set in high school. Not a point guard, but a decent handle, decent court vision. Um, I think in time could be a solid defensive player. Uh, but it, the package is not all there yet. Basically, the difference is I don't think there's a lot of difference between him and a guy like Pierre Brooks, except that Michigan has had less depth, so they've had more need to play him, whereas MSU has been able to get away with limiting how much they have to play Pierre. Yeah. And Jade Nakins, who was the other guy among that threesome in state in that class, in the freshman class, uh, Jay Nakins is clearly a superior player at mm. this stage. It's just, it's come faster for him because if nothing else, he defends at an extremely high level. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that's probably all the players we'll see unless something crazy happens. Uh, maybe you see a, a couple cameos from Jace Howard or Phelps or something, but right. Howard has played some lately. I don't, I didn't, I don't think I saw him out there today, but he has played at time, you know, son of Juwan, a walk on, but, a guy who could have played mid-major D1 for sure, so not without some game. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's, yeah, not a skilled player. Uh, so the keys, Rod, um, number one key straight up, because uh, this will be interesting. I, miss you. I mean, whether they dig on Diabate and Dickinson or um, just play him straight up, because Michigan's not as good a three-point shooting team, obviously, as Purdue. that the game plan to not dig against Purdue was successful. But yeah. if you're not I, playing somebody as good as shooting, do they still use that same strategy? Well, think think back to the first game. Michigan State, for the most part, pretty much all of it, straight up against Dickinson. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think you have to do. It's true that Michigan does not scare you as much from three as Purdue did. So that might lead one to conclude, hey, you're free to dig a little more consistently, be a little more aggressive with that, maybe even send an extra guy at him occasionally. The problem with that, in my opinion, is when you do that against a guy who is a good passer, as Dickinson is, he sees the floor well because he's huge and he's a, he's a good passer. He's got good instincts, good vision, 
delivers the ball where it needs to go most of the time. When you do that, you run the risk of making a mediocre shooting team into a good one or a very good one. Mm -hmm. And I would rather not see that. I would rather see Michigan State do what they did in the first game, play honestly, stay with guys on the perimeter, and make Michigan earn everything. And if they want to try going through Dickinson again relentlessly, then so be it. I think you live with those results. The other thing is, in this game, as opposed to the last one, with Purdue against Edie, you know that if he gets the ball in certain spots, it's over. Mm -hmm. You know? I don't think that's entirely the case with Dickinson. Yeah, Dickinson you can move can him to some bothered. degree. Yeah. They can be, he can be bothered by length. So Bainham has a chance based on length. If MSU opts to use marble the way they did against Indiana, let's say, and Trace Jackson Davis and have him front Dickinson, that could play a role in limiting him to some degree. Mm-hmm. So there, you're not as, it's not as much of a situation as it is against Purdue where you're saying we're going to concede twos. I think I think you're going to concede a certain amount of point production to Dickinson, but I do think it's possible against him to force him to have a less efficient day than he normally does. Yeah. Even playing him straight up, I think that is possible. Not a lock, but it's possible. And I mean you look at the numbers, it's very reminiscent of the Purdue numbers. I mean, Hunter Dickinson, 25 points. But then you look at Jones, 0 for 3 um, for 3. Eli Brooks, 1 for 4 for 3. And, and what I mean, did they Dickinson, were 15% what did Dickinson from 3. Shoot, what did Dickinson shoot in that first game? Uh, 8 for 17. There you go. So sub 50%. You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. That you'd take that. You would take, if, if, they, if, if you were told, and obviously he did a lot of damage at the free throw line. Um, but... Yeah. You would, but you would still, you would take that and live with it. You know, the problem with Purdue is Edie can go out there and shoot 75% against you. And there's really not much you can do to bother him. Mm -hmm. That's not Dickinson. Dickinson's a load, but it's like with Kofi, except I don't think he's as good as Kofi, but it's a similar thing. Yes. He's a monster. And yeah, there are times where you just kind of have to tip your hat. Okay. But you, you have a chance if you're Michigan state to at least make him work to get those points. Yeah. Yeah. You you are not, in my mind, you are not necessarily conceding by playing straight up. All right. He's going to go, you know, eight for 12 against us or nine for 13. That's not necessarily so he might, but you have a chance. Yeah. Then you can muscle him off the spot a little bit. I don't even think it's it's muscling. (laughs) I don't think it's, I don't think it's muscling. I mean, yeah, you can fight him, but I don't think it's muscling as much as it is, especially with Bainham, just the length. Mm -hmm. He can be, even if, even if Dickinson is getting into certain spots, I mean, obviously you can't have him right under the rim, but if he's in normal post position, Marcus Bainham has enough length to bother him. With Edie, I guess he's I'm... so huge that nobody. I mean, Bainham yeah. bothered him a little bit during his stretch in that game, but that's a different. It's an order of magnitude beyond it. That's what I guess I'm trying to say. Yeah, I. You know, I guess when I was thinking that, I was thinking of Marble. Marble well, has a chance to to push um, Dickinson off, where it's like 
I don't think anybody has a chance to push Edie off anywhere well, he wants to probably, go. <laughs> that's probably true. That's probably true. Uh, but anyway, the second key, pick and roll. And, and here I'm talking about offense for Michigan State. Mm-hmm. And we talked about this already. Uh, Michigan is really weak at the point of attack in the pick and roll game. Jones isn't a very good defensive player, and Dickinson really struggles. Now, I think based on what I've seen from Michigan and based on the results of the first game, they're not going to play play it the same way they did in East Lansing. And East Lansing, for a lot of that game, they were much more aggressive with the way Dickinson hedged. And MSU's guards, Hogart especially, just took him to school. Mm-hmm. And then when he started shacking it, they tended to be able to get matchups where the big men, particularly Hauser, I remember, um, just burned him for a three, maybe a couple of them. Um, and, uh, and so that's, it's the same equation here. I expect that they are going to shack it. They are going to have Dickinson sagging mm-hmm. off the pick and roll. What that means is AJ Hogard and especially Tyson Walker are going to have shots. Now with Hogard, it's a different deal because you don't necessarily want AJ Hogard taking 18 footers right. consistently. You know, yeah. this might be a game where they need to lean a little more on Tyson. And if Tyson has an aggressive mindset, the way he did against Illinois, he's got opportunities. Mm-hmm. All that talk coming out of that game from Izzo and from Tyson himself about how well it was the way they defended. There were opportunities that we knew were going to be there. Guess what? They're very likely to be there again in this game. Yeah. Very likely. So MSU has to punish Michigan for the way it opts to defend. And if they do for some reason play Dickinson more aggressively, well, then it's back to the equation from the from most of the first game where Hogarth and Walker need to just punish him by taking him off the dribble and taking him to the rim. Hmm. Uh, this seems like a key we've been talking about with Michigan for three or four years now. <laughs> Almost every game, pick and roll is just such a big deal. And, well, yeah, because but, but but let's keep in mind for some of that period, we're talking about Teske. that as a well Teskey, but we're talking about that as a major strength for Michigan State. Yeah, you had arguably, you know, the best pick and roll game in the in the conference or or even the, among the best in the country with Cassius Winston and Xavier Tillman. Mm-hmm. I mean, they just absolutely punished Michigan over the last two seasons those guys played together. You know, won four out of five and and were were really, really good in that area. And you're right, it was the way that Michigan opted to defend it with Teske that was always in question and John Teske by the way was a pretty good defensive player in pick and roll yeah the fact that Michigan State exploited them the way that they did um had a lot to do with just how brilliant Cassius Winston was Mm -hmm. this time around it's a weakness on Michigan's part and then the question of how aggressive and then efficiently MSU can exploit that weakness. So there's more questions both ways. Yeah. In my opinion. Uh, and then the third key boards, MSU has evolved into a pretty good rebounding team at, at really at both ends. Um, that's, 
Yeah, and and look, we 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 say it every game now. This is an area of concern for Michigan State in every single game they play. Now against Purdue, I think I think they did okay. They weren't great, but they were okay. It was like a thirty point four percent offensive rebounding rate. Mm. You can you can live with that. You're not happy about it, but it's not a disaster. And if it had been a disaster, Michigan State loses that game. I'm reasonably confident in saying that. Mm-hmm. Um, so you could say the fact that they were only okay went a long way to helping them get the victory. It's an, a deal here with Michigan. Michigan, not necessarily a great shooting team. Can you close possessions out? And then at the other end, Michigan is a very good defensive rebounding team. Can MSU get anything done in terms of second chances? They did a pretty good job on the boards, if I remember correctly, in the first game. Mm. I think. It wasn't. It wasn't. I got it pulled up here. They got um, offensive rebounding rate was well, Michigan's was thirty eight percent. Ah, okay. So not as not as good as I thought. Yeah. All right. So then it's it's a continuation then. Of the same, and it was mostly Diabate. It was most he got yeah. six offensive rebounds. Yeah. Uh, yep. So then the next key, uh, the fourth key, um, wings, Brown and Christie. The, I'm sure everyone's seen the the stats on when Brown scores in double figures. <laughs> yeah, successful. MSU's only lost. MSU's only lost twice, and I think when both of them are in double digits, I think they might have only lost one. Mm-hmm. Um, look, it's. It's no secret, right, that it's we, – we've had a lot of guys step up and have really good individual games for Michigan State this year. You know, um, we've had Malik Hall have his outburst, Tyson Walker, A.J. Hogard, um, Julius Marble. But the reality is it is a hard thing for Michigan State to win against good opponents – if they're not getting solid contributions from Gabe Brown and Max Christie. And we mm-hmm. saw those guys give good, solid contributions in the first, in the game against Purdue and lo and behold, we get a win. Yeah. So I would put that together with the fact that again, I don't think Michigan is particularly good defensively. Um, and uh, there's an opportunity there. Mm-hmm. And with Gabe, you know, it's where's the confidence level at yeah. as a shooter. With Max, it's that. And can he do more, you know, getting to the rim? And with both of them, can MSU wasn't something I listed as a key, but it, it should be there. should be in the back of everybody's mind. Can MSU get into transition against these guys? Mm-hmm. Maybe get either or both of those guys some easy opportunities, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then the fifth key, energy. Um, and we heard um, the post game with Walker, who said, um, "You know, we just have to keep that dog mentality. We have it uh-huh. in us. We just don't bring it every time." Right. And and there's no excuse for not doing that. I've, yeah. I've said this. I've heard Izzo say it. It's not. A, shouldn't be a mystery to anybody. Um, this team is not talented enough to go out and kind of half step and beat anybody good. Mm-hmm. They're just not. And in fact, if they do that against people that are good, they can get blown out, as we saw in Iowa City. Yeah, I, I still just shake my head at <laughs> that game. 
um, what a what an embarrassment that was. Because uh, Michigan, as a team, is essentially, I would put them on about the same level as Iowa. I don't think there's much difference between those teams in terms of quality. So you go in and you half-step it in this game, you could get run out of Chrysler if Michigan's playing well. Yeah. Um, the way you avoid that is if you come out and you play hard and you play with energy and you play with purpose and you play with toughness. And MSU did all of those things against Purdue. They were active. They were engaged. They were together defensively. They executed a game plan to outstanding fashion. Can they do those things again? They need to. If they do those things, they can hang in there with anybody in this Mm -hmm. league. If they don't, they can get run out of the gym by almost anybody. All right. Well, this one's 8.30 Fox uh, Sports 1 on Tuesday. Any final thoughts heading into this one? You know, these are always big, right? Mm-hmm. And and uh, one, one other thing we didn't talk about, slight impact, but Michigan State is going to have one more day of rest. Yeah. Michigan is on a one-day one turnaround on this. Um, you know, they have tomorrow in between, and then they play again. Michigan State got two days. So I wasn't happy about this game being rescheduled when it happens because Michigan State's going to feel that impact when they go to Columbus yeah. on Thursday. But for this one, they have a slight advantage in that in that area versus Michigan. Mm-hmm. We'll see if it matters. All right. We'll get the post game up after that one. Uh, until then, the Final Four is not on schedule. <laughs> At Granger, we're for the ones who pay attention to every little detail. The ones who fuss, tinker, and sweat the small stuff. Because you know the tiniest thing can make the biggest difference when it comes to keeping business moving. We get it. We're the same way. Offering access to product experts to help you quickly and easily find what you need. So whatever your industry, you know you're always getting professional-grade products. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.